tonight uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the word should. It is a simple word and it is a dangerous word. And we're going to learn a little bit about that. And we're going to see how that word um, is applied not only in the Bible, but uh, how it affects us uh, societally, uh, corporately, as well as uh, individually. And so uh, just recently, as a matter of fact, I felt like I should do a lot of things. And um, I see Barb is feeling this already. And it's because... You know, I had a workout partner just recently, and I don't know, I know, it's, it's hard to believe, right? And, and everybody's like, but you gained it all back. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but I did have this magical creature that was a workout partner for, you know, probably about three months, I think. And man, I lost like 15, 20 pounds. I was just dropping it off. It was amazing. I felt better than I had in like decades. I mean, it was amazing. But then I lost my partner. And uh, can't say why, but I lost him. Uh, you know, he's still wandering around somewhere, not being my partner. But uh, I'm not going to hold it against him. Um, but, but, you know, I, I look in the mirror every day and I just keep on telling myself, man, you should just work out. Why, you, you should really just get back to doing what you were doing. And I look at the results and I hear the word and I just feel defeated. I don't feel like I should do anything. As a matter of fact, deep down inside that word, even every time I tell myself I should, for some reason it just falls flat. And so everyone has this eternal authoritarian figure in our minds. You should do this. You should do that. You should do better. You should start. You should end. You should stop. Maybe you should begin. Hector, you should play more songs. <laughs> and, and so we have this, this internal dialogue, this, this parent living inside of our head that tells us we should. And... Um, you know, if you don't have that authoritarian figure in your head, then maybe you're going through your terrible twos. I don't know. But in human development, it happens pretty, pretty early in life. We, we already get what mom says, shame on you for, or, you know, you should do this or you should do that. Right? Don't put your finger in the light socket. My mom had to tell me that more than twice. So, you know, unfortunately, some of us use this I should vernacular thinking somehow it's going to make us better people or better Christians. I, I believe that. I, I, most, a, a good portion of my Christian walk, especially at the be like, I don't know if it was like right at the beginning because I was like too, uh, I was just oblivious to really many things when I was a new believer. But I think it's after I kind of got settled in, all of a sudden, like I'd look at other people and I would be like, I should be doing that. That, that looks holy. I should do that. And I don't know. It just seems like, you know, in my mind, and I think in a lot of people's minds, the things that we say we should do, this vernacular of, of man, it's going to make me a better person, it's going to make me a better Christian, uh, turns out our internal word choice can lead us to places that God has, has not desired for us. 
And I think that it's interesting because it's, it's really, the, the reason is, is simply this, is this word should, this language, is a setup. And I've, I've learned this in the last couple of years that when I hear the word should in my mind, that it's actually a setup. And, and, and so if you're taking notes tonight, that's going to be our acronym, setup. And that's what this is all about. And so this language of setup, the, the S is sneaky. The E is emotional. The T is traumatic. The U is unfair. And the P is for performance. And this is what should, this word, holds for us. So... Where do we find it in where do we find it in the Bible? You know, this is all well and good. You're talking about this word, James. Where is where do we see this? Well, if we would like to turn to John chapter 8. Verse 1. If you need a Bible, Bud's got a Bible, he'd be happy to give you a Bible. For five dollars. No, just joking. Just just joking. All right, we there? Maybe. All right, let's go. So as we turn to chapter 8, um, let's just like backtrack a little bit, uh, just a little uh, context for the passage, which is um, Jesus has been in Jerusalem. At this point in his uh, ministry, you know, he's really um, under fire by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're really looking to, you know, he scratches his nose. They're like pointing at their finger. What are you doing? You shouldn't be doing that. And it's just, it's, it's really a hard time for him because he's being scrutinized wherever he's going. And uh, anybody who thinks they know anything about religious law is, is questioning him. And we find Jesus uh, here at the opening of this passage, just after resting, he, he goes up to the Mount of Olives and he, he just gets done resting, whether he's up there praying to the Father or hanging out with, you know, maybe resting with some of his other buddies. Um, it doesn't really quite say, it just says that he went to go rest. And so now he's coming back from rest. And, and why he's resting is because where he's been in Jerusalem, everybody has just, there's no... There's really no one in Jerusalem that would probably even be brave enough to give him a bed to sleep in. I mean, why did he have to go to the Mount of Olives? Why couldn't he just stay there? And it just, it, it's, it's really um, unfortunate that he couldn't stay where he was at, but that he had to go rest. He had to travel a little ways, not probably too far, but a ways, in order to get some quiet time with the Father. And so he comes out, and so it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and ate one. And then in two it says, Now early, I'm just going to read through the scripture, uh, 1 through 11, and then we'll just talk about it. We'll process through it as we, as we go. And so um, it says, Now Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. So... He's going right back after it. You know, he, he knows everybody is going to speculate and, and, and say uh, horrible things uh, and, and question him. And, and he knows that the Pharisees and Sadducees, he knows their heart. He knows they're up to no good. But he goes right back. 
to go teaching people in the temple about his truth. And it says, then the scribes and Pharisees brought him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in this very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. There's that word. But what do you say? What do you say, Jesus? What should we do? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down. And I think this is interesting because the very body language of him not addressing something as like adultery, you know, the law, you know, I'm sure everybody in the temple was like, and and yet he takes a posture of humility. He takes a posture to sit down, not to stand up, not to... Not to alarm anybody, but just he's de-escalating the audience, it would seem. Maybe, you know, it was strategic. Maybe it's just what he was doing to to try to, to meet this woman who was being brought in, meeting her where she's at. Trying to create an atmosphere that would be um, not as emotional. And so they said to him, testing him, you know, they, they might have something to which to accuse him. They, they wanted to get him in trouble, right? They were, the Pharisees and Sadducees were looking to accuse Jesus of anything. And, but Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Tons of speculation of what Jesus wrote on the ground, nobody really knows. And that's there. I'm not going to bore you with the list of what people think. Whatever he was doing, it was important for him to do. And if our God chooses to write on the ground, or if he was drawing a happy face with, you know, he might have been doing a little emoji, you know, just a little whatever. Who knows? Who knows what he was doing? But but the point was is, is this this the stature of humility as these people are coming in creating all this ruckus. And so in seven it says when they count uh, continued asking him he raised himself up and said to them, "He who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone." So he wasn't arguing with them. He just said, all right. You're without sin. Knock yourself out. Go ahead. And again, after he said that, he went back to doing what he was doing. Finishing up his sweet picture on the ground. Or whatever he was writing. If he was writing the law or whatever he was doing. Writing their sins in the ground. Who knows? But he just, he stops. And, and he just goes back to what he's doing. I'm sure that that took them off guard. But... Then, in verse 9, then those who heard it being convicted of their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. 
When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, probably woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. He said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so, what a sweet, sweet story. I, I, I sit and I hear this, I, I read this story over and over and over and over again just recently, and I was just moved, moved in a way that I had not been moved before, because right away, as they came in, we hear that word of, you, you should do this, Jesus. You should do this. You should stone her. Now, I'm just throwing this out here. You know, most of the time when we're throwing shoulds out, we're not dragging people in for judgment of adultery, right? But it just shows you that this word is loaded. This word is loaded for failure, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point out how, is they're trying to trick Jesus, and the word should is trying to trick us. See, it's trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to t- trick Jesus, but you would think they had learned by now, right? You'd think that, you know, their, their interactions with him, that they would have learned, but that is the problem. This is the setup. This is the setup to make Jesus think, what should I do? Never really happens. But the first point is that they were being sneaky, weren't they? They were being sneaky. Why were they being sneaky? How were they being sneaky, James? Well, you should stone her. On what basis? Adultery. That's what they said. But here are some interesting facts that make these religious leaders look more like the Three Stooges. Is that in the law it said two witnesses had to catch someone in the act. They had to catch them in the act. Not holding hands on a bed, not walking out of a room together. There had to be two witnesses, not just one. I mean, it was very specific. It was very specific. So, I mean, not only that, where's the guy? Where's the guy? Surely he, he, I mean, was he Speedy Gonzalez? He just ran away, they just let him go? No, they didn't. Uh, You know, the whole thing just stinks. And Jesus knows this. Jesus, I mean, anybody who knew anything about the law already knew there was something up. And these guys were not, they were not holding court. They were not the officials to hold court to judge this woman. And not only that, there's speculation um, in lots of commentaries that by this point in uh, the Second Temple era that they were not holding, um, how do we say, the law as tightly as they were unless they needed it to use it for their benefit. So these guys are just rascals, wily rascals. So also, you know, this, this whole thing is just is just really sneaky. The law would have required them both, the man and the woman, to suffer consequences if this was real. This, this should, that they were trying to thrust upon Jesus, um, is not only sneaky, but it's, um, as I mentioned, is always like 
in this word should, there's always something deviant about it and, and, and sneaky about the word because oftentimes there is an agenda in the word should. There's an agenda. When I say I should do something, there's like an agenda to do something. A lot of times it's just not really thought out. Well, I should probably do that. I should probably, you know what, I, I should probably go do that. Uh, most of the time when I'm using the word should, it, it's like it, a lot of times it could even be fear is involved. It's because uh, we think that it's going to maybe even get, uh, give us better sight in the people, uh, you know, better, uh, I guess, uh, how do we say that? My brain is going blank. Um, uh, a better, uh, better sight in the eyes of people, you know? That's, that's what we, 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 are, we like to be people pleasers. We like to look good. And so should often is forced upon in, in these predicaments. And here they were hoping to force this should onto Jesus that he would bite the hook and act so they could trick him and that they could condemn him. So... Uh, oftentimes this agenda is being supplied, uh, it's, it's supplied by a learned behavior also that could be negative. Like you could just learn that, you know, there, I know people who have learned that they should, you know, go sell drugs when they don't have any money. It doesn't mean that it's a good idea. See what I'm saying? We have, a, and, and, and I know that we're like, well, I've never sold drugs. Right, but has there been learned behavior that you've had, that you've learned that you were a kid, that you should do this or that. And as you've gotten older, you've kind of like, why do I even do that? That, that doesn't ever pan out for me, right? It's that should. And so keep it in the back of your head, this, like, that sneaky part of should. Keep it in the back of your head because i got to get through this here. Emotional. It's also emotional. It's emotionally driven word because Jesus knew what they were up to and chose not to be wrapped up in the emotional trickery of this word. He just like kind of, you know, stooped down, draw, you know, just didn't really pay attention to them. And so this should had an emotional influence and Christ's decision was to not fall for it. And so we have to be careful that our shoulds aren't stirring up the emotional, an emotional sensibility about us, right? We should be doing things out of facts and after a value system that follows Jesus. Not out of our emotional well of who knows what. So, first off, with everything at play, these guys... Had it out for the lady somehow. I mean, she just ends up by herself with them. They had to have it out for her just like they had it out for Jesus. Seems like it was their ammo. There was probably an emotional motive or agenda behind that. Just the fact that she was there, um, which was probably, you know, just based out of whatever they felt or who knows how they tricked her into getting into this position. Nobody really knows. We just have their word. We, you know, it's always uh, it, somebody seems right until you hear the other person, right? So we don't even really know if this lady's actually even guilty. But you should stone her. And, and this, is, this is the thing about should. is With everything going on, we do not know 
anything about her and the, her accusers, by all means, um, are working this crowd up in the temple. They're using the emotionalism of, hey, look at what, look at what this lady's done. Look at what's going on. There's a, a travesty here. Teacher, what should we do? Well, everyone seems right, again, till that second person speaks, but she's not allowed to speak. So they're stirring up the crowd. They want to catch Jesus in the trap. So we can start to see that this word is a lot of trouble. So, along with this emotionally charged thing going on, playing on people's fears, people's judgment, people's jealousies, you can see these brainiacs were working hard to try and to, to get their purpose taken care of. Again, the three stooges and the light socket, trying to repair a light socket is a good one. Light socket is our theme tonight as well. And then... Again, the T is traumatic. Should, when we should, when we feel like we should do something out of obligation, we, just, we should do this, a lot of times we're not prayerful about it and it can affect the people around us. It can actually traumatize the people around us. That woman was traumatized. And I would like to say that even though she walked away that day, she would still be looked at by the society around her for the rest of her life as, an, an, a, as somebody who is an adulterer, she would be ridiculed. And so this whole thing has, has traumatized a, a, a person who, um, in, in reality, there was lots of, we don't even know how true these statements are that they're making. So they don't just affect us. Our shoulds don't just affect us. The, 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 the very word should makes us act. It makes us do something. And we don't always think about how or pray about how that is going to affect others. And um, I can tell you, uh, this lady um, was not probably on her top 10 things to do before the rapture happened was to go be a target for rocks. So I, 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 think, I think about this and, and, and just think about, again, the you about how unfair this was. And, and should the should leads to unfair what? Unfair expectations of what is truly required of us, but also what is truly required of others. Unfair. It's just unfair. Should you like have you ever like, well, we should do this? Well, I don't know. Is is that God's expectation of you or is that your expectation of you? See, this is all a setup. It's, it's really um, quite unfortunate that this word is so programmed into our culture. And um, yeah, it's just truly, we have to think about when we think should, that, you know, what, what are we saying we're truly required to do? So lastly, um, this setup is about performance. Our flesh loves to work. Our flesh loves to work. We love to say, look what I did. I should do that. Oh, look. Look what I've accomplished. And, you know, ultimately this 
The flesh loves it, man. The culmination of this whole process from one word, this is one word, guys, is a setup. And just like they're trying to set up Jesus, this word, when we buy into it as believers, it's a setup, and that setup equals another word, and that word is shame. And that's, you know, down to the heart of it. Well, James, why didn't you just say it? Why'd you have to go through all that? Just tell us this is a message about shame. Well, because you have to see how crazy human behavior is when we're doing our own thing. When we think that we should do this or should do that, and we're doing our own thing, I mean, when we, you know, uh, decide to be sneaky because, you know, we need to somehow manage or calculate, you know, what we want to get out of something, or because our, we're emotionally charged and don't want to um, sit and process and, and think about what God would want, or, you know, think about the people around us because God just says, hey, you know, love me and love others. Well, you know, I just saw a meme recently where it said that, and there's a picture of Michael Scott from The Office, and he said, well, Lord, I guess I'm going to make a mess of this. You know, right? I'm going to make this as hard as possible. And, and, and yet we have and we hold this word, and this word is a setup for shame. And so this trap is right here and exists in the battle of our lives. This guilt, in sh- you know, and, and that's another thing, guys, before I go any further, you're like, yeah, that, that shame and guilt, guilt and shame, man, that's, that's horrible stuff. Well, I'm, I'm going to be the bearer of bad news that guilt and shame are two different things. So we got to separate that first because I don't want you to think what I'm talking about is guilt. So wherever there is guilt, there, it doesn't mean, I mean, it's, it's a lot of times it's hand in hand. Absolutely. Guilt and shame can happen in the same place in the same time in our hearts and our minds, but they're separate things. Guilt is the feeling you get when you do something wrong or perceive you have done something wrong. Shame is the feeling that your whole self is wrong, that you are bad, that you are um, just absolutely of no worth. See, shame is a feeling that your whole self is wrong. Guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, I'm a bad person. Right? So guilt is uh, indeed concerned with one's responsibility for a harmful attitude or behavior. By contrast, shame implies a non-moral negative self-evaluation. See, this is the issue. We're all guilty of sin. We're all, so we have two things here. We're all guilty of sin. Absolutely. And but God gave his son so it would not keep us from him. And so that guilt we can live like ah that thing is lifted off of us. So anything after that, like we kind of choose, right? We're we're choosing. I'm not saying you should, you just you're choosing. And so a resi- uh, excuse me, a residual of overcoming guilt. The shame is a residual of overcoming the guilt that we are born into. It's basically guilt's ugly, ugly whisper that can't touch us anymore. It's, it's shame. It's just like, oh, you, you suck so bad. Like, you, you, you're never going to get it right. 
You're, you're, you're never going to be able to love them like they love you. You're never going to amount to anything. You're never going to be able to be as spiritual as them. You're never going to be able to serve in ministry. You're never going to be able to stop, break that addiction. You're never going to be able to do any of those things. This is a residual of a, something we were born into that Jesus paid for. But that should word takes us back to letting guilt speak into our lives. And so it all really started, right? Genesis 3.10. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. That is guilt. That is guilt. Now, what's interesting about that, because everybody knows just in context, this is right after Adam and Eve fell and God's walking through the garden. He knows what's going on, but he's looking for him. And I find it interesting, if they were truly bad, if they were so bad that they were to be thrown away, like, yes, he was experiencing guilt and shame, but, like, again, here's God looking for him. Here's God wanting to still, like, he, the Lord had to be just. And there was consequences for what they did, but he still desired that relationship with them. He, he, he saw the shame that they were in and he wanted to fix it on, 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 on all accounts. And he promised the Christ to them. And so there wasn't like, the, I'm sure that Adam was like, we should cover ourselves, right? That's right. We should. We should cover ourselves. Again, that word, it's just everywhere. Everywhere you see severe um, sin and guilt, um, man, that word is somewhere always there. I should do this. I should that. Man, uh, man loves to should themselves right to the grave. So, everybody knows what it's like. Everybody, come on, you guys, this generation right here, when you grew up, you remember those words, shame on you? I remember them clearly. Shame on you. We, were, we are raised in a culture of, of shame, of shame on you. And what this tells us is that we are bad people. Again, it's crazy how we even make it this far. But by God's grace and loving Jesus, we, we get to be rewired by the Holy Spirit, Right? It, and I just, I, I feel like most of us have been raised in this culture of guilt. We've been humiliated, embarrassed, belittled, judged, or criticized. Shame can be a strong motivator to get people to comply. And I think that, you know, shame can make us believe that we are a bad person. We hear it, we feel it, we fight it, we falter in it, and sometimes I feel like we don't know what to do if we didn't have it. And so, if we cannot let shame—excuse me—if we cannot let shame win the day, then what do we do? Just because we have made bad choices, it doesn't define who we are, and that's what Jesus has, has, has continually said throughout, you know, spoken throughout the gospel. It's just, hey, man, I know you screwed up. Get back up. Here I am. Hey, I, I know you, you, you fell, and, 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 and I know that you, you've done wrong. David, I know you, you, you murdered. 
And I know that you slept with this guy's wife, but you know what? Come on, get back up. I love you. Yes, I know. Yes, yes, Peter, I know you denied me, but will you, will you feed my sheep? There's always this, you know, uh, this beauty. And here we see the same thing. Here in this story, we see a woman who is in adultery. Do we understand how she, she got there? Not really. Does Jesus care? Absolutely. How do we think she feels? Horrible. I can't even imagine the shame and guilt that she felt amongst that crowd. But this is the thing, is that as we see Jesus doing his thing, like he is just so smooth in how he handled this situation, and see the guilt of everything that was going on, that this, this process of shame she was feeling, it all like dissipated in his presence. It just dissipated. It was gone. See, that's what this shame of should does. It robs us of the joy that God would have, this peace that God would have for us. When we trust in His work and what He has done for us, He promises to us the should set up is extinguished before the shame can even fully develop. So if we are in God's presence, if we are seeking Him, if we are following Him, that should word isn't even available in our vernacular. What we find, and it's much to when a lot of us get first get saved, it's, we don't feel like we should do anything for God. We just want to do stuff to, to praise the Lord. We're just already there. We don't even think about like we're in prayer. We're like reading his word. We're in this is who we should. We, we just need to be in Christ. We shouldn't have to do anything. As a matter of fact, he tells her when she steps into that arena with him, he said, and neither do I. I don't condemn you. He says, go and sin no more. He didn't say you shouldn't sin no more. He didn't. He said, just go sin no more. Just remember what this felt like. Remember what this was like. Remember who I am. Remember what I can do. Remember that I'm a shame-free zone. Remember that this is guilt-free right here. I don't know, man, but that gets me just so excited. So excited to not have to live in guilt and shame. I'm not, the reason I'm a, the reason I am anything and the reason I can say I'm an awesome person is because Jesus is the Lord of my life. Jesus reigns supreme upon my heart and that it is him that lives in me, not the world. And in that, in that, we're, we're, we're no longer shame. We're no longer bad people. Yes, we do bad things. I could tell you about five of them I did today probably, you know, didn't just handle people right. Who knows? But at the end of the day, am I prayerful? Yes. Is God still in, on, on, on the throne? Yes. Is, is, is the Lord working on my heart and softening my heart? Yes. Is he still working on me? Absolutely. Until I die. But we don't have to live with this should. We don't have to live with this shame. We don't have to live with the guilt. 
So just watch out for that word in your life. Watch out for that word as it will try to set you up. It's the setup. Just like they try to set Jesus up. And what's interesting is all those guys, that all those Pharisees and Sadducees that walked away because they didn't understand who Jesus was and what they were doing, guess what? When they left, it said their conscience bothered them. And that's good that they even had a conscience. But, you know, since they didn't understand what Jesus provided, they had to go live with that guilt and that shame. They had to go home. And as their wife was probably talking to them, they were probably in their head just sitting there thinking about what had happened, thinking about their sin, realizing how do I get rid of this? Like, what a blessing to be able to be free from this. And so... I wanted to give you guys just some, some thoughts, like some pragmatic thoughts on this whole thing. Like, I don't want to just talk about this and not have you guys walk away with anything. Um, there are going to be, you know, most of us have our brains wired to think that we should. Let's just face that. We've, we've established that. And, and when we, we do... And even when we decide that we're going to stop using should, we, we're still wired and we got, there's like a process that has to take place. So there will be triggers that makes us, that will make us want to should and feel shame. And so uh, some of those triggers you guys can watch out for is just disapproval from important people to you. There's people disapproving. Oh, I should probably do this instead. Well, can you just pray first? Pray like before people, if people disapprove, it doesn't necessarily mean you're doing anything wrong. It just means like there might need to be a conversation. You might need to pray through what it is that they're pointing at, right? Don't just should yourself into another hard conversation or into an argument. So um, it could be a parent, a spouse, a boss, coworker, leader, perceived disapproval from God. That we see in this story that it don't matter. Like, you can do all kinds of things because we are sinners saved by grace. Not that he, but he doesn't want us to sin. He says, go and sin no more, right? Just be, he just gets our condition, right? And he loves us. And he said, you probably use, shouldn't use that word should. He just said, just be in me. Just be with me. So... Reactions that we can have to these triggers is they can make us feel guilty. So if you're ever feeling guilty, foolish, distressed, exposed, overly sensitive, or uh, submissive, and it makes you want to isolate, if you, some of you like to isolate, that's me. Um, and even there could be a lot of other things that, um, like self-harm behaviors and moving into addictions um, because of this should and shame it can push us in some really unhealthy directions um, they can also be uh, seeds of anxiety if you feel anxiety and depression and obsessed thinking obsessive thinking i do that i don't know if any of you like after you've had an interaction with somebody and you just don't know how it really went and then you just go home and you waste the next 48 hours about it am i the only one but see that's shame based we're beating ourselves up. We're beating ourselves up. We got to stop that. We got to remember that we're in the presence of Jesus Christ. And so, and it's not always. So, here's some tools to remember. First, we got to recognize when the should and shame arrived. 
okay, we're, we're, okay, I, oh yeah, I do it here, I do it here. We gotta remember when it arrives. We gotta remember when we, when we experience those triggers. We gotta remember, hey man, do I recognize that this is in my life? Do I routinely feel guilt motivating me to do things that don't fit with God's values? That's really the question. Am I doing things like am, is the anxiety is 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 the is like what is motivating me right? Um, do I recognize this? Do do I routinely feel guilt motivating me to do things that don't fit with God's values? Like, see, it it doesn't have to be like all the evil stuff you're thinking about. It could just not be like you're not praying for God's will, and so. Find an upside. Time to find the upside, guys, because I'm telling you, there's something good about shame. There's one good thing about shame. You ready? Here it is. It's just you can't hold on to it. You can just kind of like hold it in your hand and like break up with it. You got to let it fly. And, and, and this is what it'll do is um, when you see it, shame in a correct light, in a healthy light without guilt, it can actually, we can learn from it. We can learn to what to do and what not to do. And uh, shame can motivate learning growth and a desire to change to be close to Jesus. I think that that's a, a beautiful thing. It can help us do a lot of other things too when we're free from all this stuff. Heck, I, I'm, I'm actually, when I start to work out, like I know it's not because I stood in front of a mirror and said, well, I should be doing this. It's just because I'm doing it. And it's okay. And it's okay that right now that I'm 20 pounds over. I, I'm, I'm not going to beat myself up over it. I'm going to seek the Lord. And, 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 and He's going to remind me to be a good steward of my health. And He's going to put those things in my heart that take priority in what I need to do in my life. And so, we have to remember... 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and our sins and to cleanse us from all of it. And that's really the point here, is that we are cleansed and we don't have to live in shame. Romans 10, 11, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation to them who which are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but after the spirit. What is my time right now? Does anybody have a time? How much time do I got? Huh? So I don't know what that means. When do I need to wrap this up? Now? Very good. Um, so, so it's good because I'm at the wrap-up point. And uh, so, guys, some of the things that you will take away tonight is you can break up. Have you ever broke up with somebody who's just been toxic in your life? Have you ever broke up with somebody who's just been bad news in your life? It doesn't have to be like, it could be a friend, it could be just somebody... I just want you to walk away with that because there's people that have been that have been in our lives that it's kind of been a setup, right? And we've had to get rid of them. Well, today we're going to get rid of shame. And how we're going to do that is through understanding that Jesus has paid that penalty for us and that when we're near him that we do not have to experience that and we don't have to use that word should. We're going to break up with guilt. We're going to break up with shame. Learn what we can do with this shame. How do we learn from it? That's what I'm going to ask you tonight. How do we learn from when we experience it? How do we go to Jesus with it? 
Number two, realize the past is the past, guys. Stop making mistakes in part of, you know, your past. Your past is done. It's washed away. Yes, there might have been consequences, but God's got you. Revisit it. And honestly, if, if you just get stuck in this shouldn't shame and you're like, I was just raised this way. This is horrible. Sit and close your eyes. Pretend that you go and visit yourself as a little child. And just love on yourself. Just hold that child. Hug that child. Love that child. Just close your mind. I know it sounds crazy. But close your eyes and just embrace that child that you might see yourself differently. That you might see yourself a little more as, as God's love to you. Because a lot of us get stuck in those places way back there. And a lot of it is, is, is a result of learned behavior. So I get it. And so, again, reflect on what triggers the feelings of shame. Common triggers include constructive criticism, harsh comment uh, by a significant other. When you feel shame, close your eyes. Imagine that for the first time you had ever had that feeling of being shamed. Go back and just, like, recognize what it is. If, if people, like, is this shame? Am I feeling this? Is it making me want to say should? Then lastly, talk to someone about shame. Secrets make us sick, guys. Sharing can help us get the thoughts out of our heads so we can move forward and leave shame behind. Amen? So guys, practice forgiveness lastly. Practice forgiveness with yourself. So that might be the hardest one. But practice forgiveness with yourself. Can you imagine how good that woman felt when she walked away that day? I don't know, man. I think that she was probably pretty pumped that she wasn't stoned to death. Some. Jesus is good. And the feeling of freedom to learn from her mistake, knowing that she was no longer guilty, no longer bore that immediate shame, that in the presence of her Savior, she was, is, and always will be safe and forgiven with no shame and no guilt. And the beautiful thing, guys, is so are you. So that little word should. Such a long message for a little word, isn't it? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much, uh, Father, for your goodness, for your love, for your, for so much forgiveness that you have designed a construct through your son to encapsulate us in safety, to encapsulate us and protect us. Father, you are such a good, good father that there's none like you. And so, Father, we just come to you with grateful hearts, Lord, that, that we would ask that you would help us process like the, the shame in our lives, you know, where we're, we're, we've really just got it out for ourselves, that we think that we're bad people, that, that where we, we just condemn ourselves. Lord, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Remind us of who we are in your presence. And Lord, if we're not walking with you and we're not in your presence, Lord, help us see how to get back to you. Lord, help us have the power to not to go and sin no more.
So, Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. And we just ask you, go out before us, Lord. Just watch over us and, and, and be with us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.